do you think you are? Pastor Mark, this is Wrestling. Welcome back to Restless as we react to The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, Episode 1, Who Killed Mars Hill? I am joined, as always, by Pastor Michael. I am here. I am alive. I've been sick lately, but I'm going to make it through this episode. I could not miss this one. And it's definitely not my fault, is all I have to say to the internet and any health departments listening. We have a special guest. We have been telling our listeners, if you are a person with an opinion about the show, we want you to join us. And so we are joined by another Matt. Matt, tell us a little bit about about yourself i i am uh i'm here i am healthy to the best of my knowledge right now rub it um, in just rub it in a little <laughs> bit that's okay i feel great um, it's not a great I, start matt it's, <laughs> it's just <laughs> um i actually have known the host matt since college and that is uh you know we've met his freshman year my sophomore year and uh he was actually the introduction to me into Reformed theology, so I appreciated that, um, and uh, oh. we've been friends ever since. I'm an now avid that, listener to the podcast. Now, that is a good start. What an endorsement of my Reformed bona fides. Um, Matt, let's, let's give you one more chance to even earn more goodwill before we begin. Is What is your favorite episode of Restless that everyone listening should go listen to if this is their first time? Uh, can I do two? Sure, please. Okay, two. I would say the one of the most helpful podcasts I've ever listened to, and I'm not being paid to say this, would be the family podcast, the one over family worship. I thought that was incredibly helpful as a parent of, uh, you know, we've got two children, or we have three children, one's just not born yet. I found that to be incredibly helpful, some really practical tips on how to, to shepherd a family. And uh, the second one I'll pick, this holds a special place in the heart, has to be the, the Driscoll Crowder interview reaction. Because I, I had not been laughing as hard as I have uh, in a while listening to a podcast from that episode. That was gold. You're also very good at transitions you're a natural at this you've brought us back to driscoll which is why we are here tonight we are going to discuss what everyone wants us to discuss what we get messages about what i get asked about is will you talk about the rise and fall of mars hill tonight we're going to do a reaction i've got some clips ready from the first episode of who killed mars hill and so we are going to decide at the end of this episode of restless we are going to decide who killed Mars Hill. So hang in there, everybody. As you know, if you heard our last episode about this, I have listened to the first episode for the first time today. So you are getting my in-time reactions as we do these shows. Pastor Michael is all caught up. And now I know why, because as, as we come into with how we're, where we're coming into from the show, I'll say this is really high quality. Pastor Michael was right. Mike Cosper clearly has an NPR voice. Um, he was born to do this. And yeah, I, I think the story is really interesting. And I know why Pastor Michael's been keeping up with it. Matt, tell us about the, the listeners a little bit about our history with Mark Driscoll, if they've listened to us for a while. Tell us about um, at all how much you followed or didn't follow Mark Driscoll over time. 
my first introduction to Driscoll was through you. I don't know if you remember this, um, but that was the start to me getting introduced to reform theology in general. You came up to me one day and said that you had some homework for me over the weekend. You told me I had to listen to two sermons. One was the shocking youth message by Paul Washer. And the second was, was Men in Marriage by Mark Driscoll. And I decided to take that weekend and listen to the both of them. And uh, that really was the, uh, the start to me getting introduced to Reformed theology. Uh, from there, I listened to a lot of Driscoll and f- followed them. They were, I think they were in the middle of their Luke series at one point, which was like two or, two or three years long or something. But it was, you know, over for a couple years there, I was really invested in it and you know thought he was a little loud at some times but there were also times where I legitimately thought it was funny um, the way he went after certain topics Um, but I was still pretty I would say immature in the faith at that point in time I kind of fell off the train when he went down to the strange fire conference Um, and then I don't think it was too much long after that when uh, the, the whole church kind of imploded. So, um, you know, looking back, I, I was involved in it for a, a while, but um, I was also listening to other ones like Piper and Chandler, um, you know, were probably the two other pastors I listened to a lot. And uh, I kind of had the hallmarks that you y'all were talking about before in a, another podcast, I could say, which was uh you know, the hallmarks of being into like celebrity culture, where I wasn't really reading my Bible a whole lot. I was just kind of listening to uh, Driscoll a lot, but, you know, he doesn't necessarily, looking back, he didn't necessarily talk from the Bible a whole lot. <laughs> it would be a, a one verse introduction and then kind of a sociology rant for half hour. You, you, you with your listening habits, were a good new Calvinist. Pastor Michael, in case we have new listeners, tell them a little bit about your background with Driscoll and anything you're bringing into this this reaction yeah uh, I mean I guess you can go back and uh, find a lot about what we've done with Driscoll we were both uh, Driscoll fanboys to a point Uh, I was introduced uh, likewise to reformed theology new Calvinism and Calvinism at all at least in part uh, because of Driscoll I was shown a a video of the classic Uh, you know there's a rabbi at you know, on top of uh, ChristianityToday.com rant, and uh, I still love the rant, still think it's hilarious, uh, probably not ideal for a sermon, but we did a whole reaction on that you can go check out. Uh, but so, you know, I was introduced very early on, listened to tons of his stuff, uh, was very, very uh, interested in him for a while, and uh, likewise, some of those other figures. So, so I have some history anyway, uh, listening through some of this stuff. Yeah, I, I obviously I mirror the two stories. So, as we get into this, Pastor Michael, you're obviously far into this show. What are you hoping they're going to get to in the show, if anything? Do you have any expectations or hopes for it? Well, I guess I'll, I'll save some of it because some of it will come up during uh, our discussion on this. Um, for instance, in this episode, John MacArthur's brought up, uh, but not in any positive light. And the, really the only people that are brought up um, as those who were speaking out about the obvious problems of Mars Hill and of Driscoll at the time, the only people brought up in the podcast up to this point that I can remember anyway, 
has been like this first episode, only you know more progressive uh, and you know egalitarian feminist type Christians. And okay. so uh, you're, you're jumping ahead. You're jumping ahead. Yeah, I know. I shouldn't get that's my this is why I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I didn't know what to do. So I hope to see more of that. Um, I don't know. I don't know how much more is left. I don't know how close they are to finishing up. So we'll find out. That brings us actually to our first clip really early in the episode. And it's actually a clip of, not about something I hadn't heard before, which we will listen to later. But this repeats something I heard a lot from Driscoll. Tim was a 16-year veteran on the staff at Mars Hill, Seattle, and a longtime friend and ally of its pastor, Mark Driscoll. It wasn't even a possibility in my mind. I'd heard Driscoll preach from the front at conferences and sermons on Sunday that he started this church, that God called him here, that he was never going to leave it, that he'd preach his own funeral, get into the casket, and close the own, his, own, his own coffin on himself. But, but he... He sent a letter at some point earlier in the day on, on Tuesday, the 14th. Um, I think the board of advisors spent most of that day trying to talk him out of it from what they told me. But by Tuesday night, it, I think it was clear that, that he was serious. The show starts actually at the reason I found Driscoll's implosion and the Mars Hill implosion so shocking. Now, I didn't follow him to the bitter end, but pretty close. And I will say what was shocking is Driscoll repeatedly said in media, in sermons, I'm going to preach my own funeral at this church. I'm going to get in the coffin myself, right? That he was never leaving. And so the way it ended, that is what, to me, made this whole situation seem um, so surprising. Yeah, I also, I likewise remember uh, hearing that several times. And I loved that, by the way. I loved that, uh, just that passion, that idea that you would, uh, you know, be around, you wanted to stick with it uh, through thick and thin. Obviously, that did not happen. <laughs> um, I'm sure it would have been more shocking if you were actually there and a part of it. But uh, but I, I'm to this day, I'm actually grateful for that kind of mentality, uh, because I think that that has actually stuck with me in my view of the church. Great. Let's go to two early clips in the show where Driscoll reads a prepared statement about why he's leaving. If you would uh, just give me a bit more of your time. I, I prepared a statement that I would like to read. It's August 31st, 2014. Mark had actually already been out of the pulpit for most of the summer. For the past couple of years, the church had been giving Mark a break over the summers, inviting people like Bruce Ware, Brian Chapel and Jack Graham to come and preach their best sermons. So this was actually Driscoll's first week back. The statement itself is pretty long. It's about 17 minutes, and you can find the whole thing online. But to sum it up a bit, Mark begins by speaking from the heart about his love for Mars Hill and his gratitude for all that God's done there. When a small group of us started what would become Mars Hill in 1996, we could not have dreamed it would be what it is today. Thousands upon thousands of people have become Christians as the gospel of Jesus Christ has proven powerful over and over. Thank you. I genuinely mean this. Um, thank you for being a wonderful church family. He goes on to acknowledge that it's a tumultuous time at Mars Hill, and he takes responsibility for some of the conflict. He's specific about one thing in particular, a series of comments he made on a message board about 15 years earlier. But for the most part, his acknowledgement of fault it's pretty broad, pretty vague. 
God is not honored by conflict, strife, disunity, arguing, slander, gossip, or anything else that is inconsistent with the fruit of the Spirit. And I am deeply, genuinely sorry for the times I have not done my part to live peaceably with all men. We're going to listen to another clip of this prepared statement. But here's what struck me about this prepared statement. As you can, you can hear Mike Cosper's voice, who I would like to remind, this is clearly fair use for what we're doing, <laughs> um, is that definitely does not count as like a public confession, right? That's like a, that's like, that feels like the most like PR written thing I've almost ever heard. I don't know. So like, I would say, yes, definitely PR, right? So there's not a, and you know, Cosper mentions that, uh, you know, the only thing specifically named is this thing he did 15 years ago. And he should have, like, it should have been a, an apology and confession of the things very, you know, explicitly without a doubt. So I'm with you to a point, but also I was actually thinking, you know, thinking about like, well-known celebrity, you know, confessions and apologies over the last couple of years, um, you know, from politicians or others, where almost all of them are not actually as directed at, hey, I'm sorry for what I've done. It's always, I'm sorry that this happened to you because of what I did. And so I actually think that it's still a step better than a lot of modern, you know, uh, apologies from the same kind of sphere. But, I, but also, I do agree with you. Uh, it's pretty, uh, pretty rough. Do you think if this sucker was given today instead of six years ago, we would get the current way you, you don't apologize for things in public? Say it again. Right. This, he read that statement six years ago. Do you think if it was given today, it would sound more like the kind of apologies you're describing, which I totally agree with? Oh, probably. Yeah. I mean, almost definitely. You're, you're probably right about that. I don't remember the apology scene back in the day but uh i assume that it was it was a little bit better than it is today i kind of agree with uh with uh with you pastor michael i i think it sounds pre because it's also driscoll reading from a script which he doesn't normally do that's probably true and uh, but that little indication there of i apologize for my part for not doing my part to address these things um it is kind of vague and it is pre but there is at least some admission that i played a role in what's happened here and i do apologize for that yeah and so we're going to play the next part that they include of this statement but again remember the podcast is asking us to roll through these clips and ask ourselves who killed mars hill whose fault is all of this so let's listen to the next section I invite this process. Rather than debating accusations and issues in social media or the court of public opinion. He ends with this. As I look forward to the future, and I do look forward to it, I believe the Lord has shown me I am to do two things with the rest of my life. Love my family. and teach the Bible. I, uh... <laughs> so Pastor Michael, how many public confessions of sins end with you being applauded? 
5 e audience. Wow. Um, actually, uh, I'm just thinking off the top of my head of more recent mega church pastors falling from grace. And this is not uncommon. Isn't really? that interesting? Really? I've seen this before. Uh, there's at least one other big church. I couldn't tell you who he was. I just watched a video of it several years ago, whenever it came out of a pastor that was accused of something far worse, even sexual assault from like an early pastorate. Like he had assaulted a girl in a youth group or maybe multiple, I don't know. Oh and that's what he had been accused of. And then he more or less, you know, uh, said, I was maybe a little inappropriate when I was younger and the church stood and applauded him. And it was one of the strangest things I've ever seen. Um, it was, I mean, it was horrible, but actually, yeah. So that's actually reminded me now that maybe this is not uncommon in that kind of a scene, that kind of mega church scene where you've got the guy, he's the guy, it's all about him. And, you know, I mean, to save, to save any bit of what this could be, right. We have to maintain that Mark is not a complete degenerate. Yeah, what's going on, Matt, with the applause and his finishing of his statement, apparently in tears? It's got to be, I mean, imagine the emotion for, especially if you're in that campus, if you're, if you're not one of the campuses that is streaming that moment, if you're actually there in the room, uh, and if you've been there the whole way with him, uh, this is like a different level that than people have seen him before, right? Like he's not the guy who shows up in tears. He's the guy who, you know, will occasionally scream at you or at some type of event. You know, you're dealing with hour long sermons there. So I imagine just seeing him in that light where there are some genuine tears has got to, uh, has got to add to the feelings just in that, that room, um, kind of sensing that, you know, I, I still would think nobody imagines that this is going away at this point. Like right. everyone right. is thinking he's coming back. Like he's going to invite this process. We're going to work through it and we're going to get old Mark back again. It's going to be fine. And I can't wait to play the clip of why the process does not finish at the end of this. But Michael, you do bring up actually one of the other really striking things about the Driscoll ending is, Right. I, I wrote down, we're not going to play the clip, that the, the reason he ended up having, he was going to be in this discipline process and that he stepped down was because a persistent pattern of sin of arrogance, short-temperedness, and domineering leadership. This is not the normal, right? You were describing the kind of scandal that seems to normally take out these kinds of people. But before we get too far into these kinds of problems, I want to play a clip that I don't think Christianity uh, today necessarily meant, um, I don't know if they meant it as a compliment or not, but I think this clip actually explains why I was sharing this guy with my friends like Matt and others. This is what was so attractive about him to me. The cool pastors at the time were guys who wore pleated khakis and Hawaiian shirts. They pastored churches that looked like cruise ships and preached in friendly, inviting ways. And out of that world comes Mark Driscoll. He's loud and angry. He talks about drinking beer and watching MMA. He preaches for an hour or more, long, fiery, shouted sermons that talk about hell and judgment and blood and redemption at a time when the church growth experts around him are holding seminars on how to make your church more seeker sensitive. And he speaks to young men, but not first and foremost in a you can do it, let's take the hill kind of way. He attacks young men constantly for the way they've been lured by the surrounding culture into being passive, lazy, and weak. 
For example, here's an excerpt from a sermon from November 2009. You, can, you want a guy you can marry and have babies with. You don't want to marry a guy who's a baby. It's unbelievable. I, I swear to you, I keep waiting to go to the mall and just, I'm waiting for the day when guys are in strollers. <laughs> just with meat binkies and sippy cups full of beer. And the girlfriends are like, oh, he's nice. He's got potential. I think he's got a lot of potential. Oh, I'm messy. I'm messy. You know, I mean, it's like, good Lord. I know that clip is not meant to like be attractive, but what if it's actually the case that in American culture, we did have lots of young men who had been lulled by the culture or whatever into passivity and laziness. Do you remember what it was like, right? When we were getting into this and like, you know, later high school, college, like it was, it was a mess, you know? I mean, it was, it was all, uh, you know, the, the kind of typical, um, culture for young men was one of passivity it was one of you know video games porn like you're not really doing anything uh constructive or productive with your life you're not using your uh, strength in a beneficial way um you're squandering it that i mean that was you know like that i do think that is exactly right that that is actually something that was attractive um, now, I want to say that actually, I do think the way that he went about it a lot of the time was actually not the right way, right? So he did, um, you know, it mentions that it was, you know, it was it was uh, deprecating of young men. It wasn't as much the kind of encouraging, hey, let's take the hill, let's do this. And I want to say where it did veer into that, it was, I do think, problematic in a lot of ways. Um, although um, I benefited from it personally, um, even though it was deprecating, like I never took it in a way that was like, well, I can't do anything right. I'm just worthless. Um, and even in that clip, you know, once it uh, moved on, I don't know, remember if it was exactly that one or a little bit later. Um, it talks about how, you know, I mean, he does call, it, even though he paints things very negatively, he does call men to a positive vision of what it looks like to give your strength to a family, to build up godly families, to lead well, to like, like he did paint an inspiring picture for young men even if it wasn't always front and center, it was, you know, sometimes he probably went in on those laughs from all the women of the church. He probably enjoyed that a bit, you know, that kind of built him up a little. We're, we're about to play the second half of that clip, but okay. I actually think I probably thought I basically deserved this, right? Like yeah. my conscience was probably accusing me and probably found it somewhat disarming that there was a guy kind of jokingly kind of giving me what I felt like I deserved. And whether that was healthy or not, I'm not, you know, I'm not defending it. But I, yeah. I think that the whole, like, the whole thing, I think, was attractive. A guy talking about all the things in the Bible that nice suburban people seem to try and paint over. A guy saying, talking about passivity. And, and again, this was the immaturity in me, right? Basically liking that the pastor was an insult comic, right? I, yeah. That, that right. was not mature, right? <laughs> yeah. And Matt, for me, is this why was, you liked him? Yes. Uh, I mean, we were in college at the time. So, of course, I mean, you just, you're at college and I felt like my um, my own personal journey in spirituality, um, you know, I, I had free time. You know, I, I had extra time. Everyone talks about how busy they were in college. I felt like I had a lot of free time and I spent that, you know, I remember throwing away my Xbox 
after listening to Driscoll. Like I threw away my Xbox, I threw away my games because I was spending a lot of my time on them. And it was fruitless. Um, it, I was not um, growing. I was not using time to produce anything or to grow in my walk with the Lord. I was you know, wasting a whole lot of time. And the culture was kind of feeding into that. Um, especially with the rise of the internet, right? Like I feel like it's a, a whole different ball game ever since the internet got in everybody's pockets and, and stuff. So I was wasting money. I was spending a lot of time unproductively and this guy given a little, you know, insult comic step followed by a call to action really helped me think about how do I need to actually start investing time and in, in not just wasting it. So you both have already kind of mention where the, the, the kind of finish of this clip gets played. I'm going to play that clip and Cosper kind of describing the ethos of the church. And we've all kind of admitted that at the time, this was compelling to us. The question I want you to be thinking through as we play the clip, you guys and the listener is, is this still a good vision for men in the church? And if you listen to a lot of Mark's preaching at Mars Hill, and I've listened to a ton of it in the past year, You'll hear the same basic rant again and again. It's part of the overall vision that Mark was trying to cast for the culture he wanted to see at the church. The world is a corrupting and dangerous place. It makes men weak and it makes women and children vulnerable. But if men hear the gospel, repent of their sins and follow Jesus, Jesus the warrior and defender, the one who takes initiative and responsibility, then they can build families and communities. They can protect women and children and they can transform and redeem a city. That's where he drives this sermon and how he ends it. God wants you to be his sons. God wants you to follow by the power of the Holy Spirit in the example of Jesus and in the example of John. I don't care if you buy a truck and you could play some video games and rock out on your guitar. I don't really care. But the issue is when those are prevalent, predominant and preeminent in your life, some of you guys would argue with me and say it's not a sin. No, but sometimes it's just stupid. You work one part-time job so you can play more guitar. That's dumb. That's really, really dumb. Some of you say, well, it's not a sin. Neither is eating your lawnmower. It's just dumb. It's just dumb. It just doesn't do anything. See, men, you were to be creators and cultivators. If you want to image God, your God is a creator and a cultivator. You create a marriage and you cultivate that woman. You create a child with her and you cultivate that child. You create a, a new family legacy for generations and you cultivate it. You create a business and you cultivate it. You create a ministry and you cultivate it. You want to be a man, you're a creator and a cultivator. You're a producer, not a consumer. You're a giver, not a taker. You bring life, not death. You're not looking for the path of least resistance. You're looking for the path of greatest glory to God. And you take it like John did. And ultimately, what I want for you men is to be filled with the Holy Spirit like John. And I want you to be fathers like Zechariah who are filled with the Spirit. And I want you to marry women like Elizabeth who are filled with the Spirit. And I want you women to be filled with the Spirit like Elizabeth. And I want you to love and serve one another in God like Zechariah and Elizabeth did. And then I want you to give birth to children who are filled with the Spirit and serve Jesus like John did. And I want your life to be one of production, not just consumption, one of fruitfulness and faithfulness and not foolishness. So before I get your answer to the question I asked, 
I do want to note this is actually a really bad sermon because it, the, the sermon text clearly has something to do with the birth of John and Jesus and Zachariah yep. and Elizabeth. And the text has nothing to say about building a uh, godly life family vision. Uh, so I just want to note that. Uh, yes, very clearly not an expository sermon by any right. means. Even though I would have identified him as an excellent expository yep. preacher. Look how no, long he can exposit. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what I would have thought. So given that this isn't at all what that text in the Bible says, is this, is this a good vision for men in the church? I guess I'll go. Uh, yeah. I mean, so most of it, yes. Right. Most of it is a great vision. Uh, most of it is, a, I mean, is fantastic. Right. Um, so the idea of, of uh, being productive, uh, being, uh, you know, beneficial to others, building up, uh, you know, a legacy uh, when you otherwise do not have one. I'm actually giving your time and energy toward the, you know, the building up of a family and the propagation of the gospel, the, you know, building up of a business. Like these are good things, great things. Um, I think really healthy things. Um, I could, I'll, I'll let you guys kind of say what you think. I have some issues uh, maybe with how, you know, he goes about it or, um, you know, uh, ways that, you know, aspects of it might come across today and uh, some ways that, you know, it could be improved, I think. But generally speaking, I want to defend it as a, like a decent vision. Pastor Mike and Michael defends Mark Driscoll's vision for the Christian life. <laughs> I, I didn't put it like that. Well, let me say one thing about this. I think I will let um, Pastor Michael's assessment here stand. I just want to say that I know this podcast is a lot of people's seeming efforts to uh, jump off off board with had kind of ever being with Mark Driscoll. But the things downstream of this were Acts 29, which is still alive and well, uh, which things associations like the Gospel Coalition uh, multi-site, which fortunately now we've, we've discussed and it's kind of falling out of favor and the reformed people love church planting. That's all, uh, kind of wrapped up in this and it's not fair to pretend that those things aren't related to this vision that he was putting out there. Yeah, they're definitely very much connected. So well, now we've come to the segment of our show called, oh, Matt was listening to this podcast and heard maybe the problems of where this show is going in the future. So I'd like to play you guys two particular clips about uh, this show that made me go, hmm, I, I wonder where this is going to go. So let's start with this one. Their introduction to him came through Donald Miller's 2003 book, Blue Like Jazz, a memoir that in many ways captured the religious spirit of Gen Xers at the turn of the century. Driscoll appeared only a few times in the book, but he appeared as Mark the Cussing Pastor, and that moniker and reputation would dog him for years to come. There's kind of this legend that his early sermons were littered with swearing, which is just untrue. In all of my research and interviews, I've only come across one or two instances where he actually swore in the pulpit one of which he sincerely and publicly apologized for later. But there's more than one way to be offensive with words. 
There were crude jokes, harsh comments about the LGBTQ community, and comments about women that could be misogynistic or objectifying. There was also his teaching on sex and sexuality that could be downright graphic. He'd warn the church not to let younger kids listen, and then sermons on Proverbs or Song of Solomon especially would get pretty detailed about sex, sexual appetites, and even techniques. Some of this would make its way online. So I'll just say that I heard this. I remember putting together that the Donald Miller book I read was actually the pastor Mark that I liked. Uh, that I remember making that connection. But here's why I, I, I make this comment that this seems like the direction of where the criticism of Driscoll might be going is a little troubling. Obviously, some of the things described that he would do, you know, the crude joking, right? That obviously, as I've mentioned, didn't bother me at the time, but was immature, right? These kinds of things are problematic, especially from the pulpit. But then we have things, harsh comments about LGBTQ, uh, misogyny, those kinds of terminology just go bing. Yeah, you just want to know, okay, well, let's define those. And then moving forward, we'll That's find right. out if what you're saying is actually true. And it was really horrible. And some of it is. <laughs> I mean, some of the stuff he says and does and the jokes he makes are obviously uh, rough. They are not good. Um, they are uh, sinful at times. And, uh, you know, in a very poor taste at others. Um, but uh, it definitely depends on what exactly you mean moving forward. Because when you and I hear that in 2021, what we're thinking is he's just going to say, well, it is a sin to, uh, you know, lay with a man if you are a man. And people right. will be like, okay, he's using harsh language about this particular community when he's just speaking what the scripture says. So that's at least the question, right? Well, let's get at the a clip where he says, there was someone who really got at the substance, not just the the exterior, the substance of what was wrong, what was going on. This was another clip that made me raise my discerning, restless eyebrows. Had been connected with Mark in the 90s. They diverged over theology, a story we'll get into in another episode. And in the years that followed, Tony was kind of a chronicler of what was happening in the church, both inside Emergent and beyond. I knew for a fact that my numbers shot through the roof whenever I blogged about Rob Bell or Mark Driscoll. I mean, and like do, <laughs> a lot of people forget, like that's, that's how Rachel Held Evans became famous, blogging about Mark Driscoll. That's probably overstating the case a bit. Rachel's criticism of conservative Christianity, particularly around biblical womanhood, drew attention on its own. But yes, she was also one of Mars Hill's foremost critics. Where most of the criticism that came from inside the church was around leadership style, tactics, and personality. Rachel's critiques focused on issues like toxic masculinity, objectification of women, and the treatment of LGBTQ people. In this, she was kind of the foremost voice in a chorus of critiques that saw the problem not just in the style of Mars Hill, but the substance too. And those critiques continue to this day. So the person who got at the substance and the critiques that continue to this day I know he's not talking about restless because we don't make the same <laughs> critique as Rachel Held Evans. We were just talking about liking his vision of family and men putting it together and leading their leading their families. And this is the these were the clips that made me go, oh boy, here here we are on restless, Pastor Mark. We've already invited you on. If you're a person listening to this podcast, maybe really enjoying it, we want you to know 
that there are people to the right of Mark Driscoll who believe he can be criticized. Right. Yeah, And actually many. And so I, are we going to play a clip of MacArthur or, or, or can not. I bring him up now? Yeah, please bring him up. Yeah. So what's really interesting, uh, and I noticed, especially listening back through this episode, is the way that the critics of Driscoll at the time are portrayed. So I've seen some criticism that MacArthur isn't brought up much. And I think that's for people that listen to later episodes um, and, you know, maybe skipped over this one, uh, because obviously John MacArthur is brought up because he was one of the foremost critics of Mark Driscoll. Um, and yet when Mark, uh, when John MacArthur is brought up, he is brought up as, you know, a man who does criticize him, uh, but he's a Trump supporter. The Trump right? so shade he, it, comes it, back. It throws some shade at like, you know, because MacArthur did at one point write about how, you know, the kind of love of Mark Driscoll is that same kind of, you know, uh, the, the thing that people like about that kind of vulgarity is similar to what drove a lot of people to like Trump. And then it's just signaled that, oh, but MacArthur went back on that and started to, you know, uh, uh, advocate for Trump or follow Trump or whatever. Um, and so there's this little signal like, hey, all you who are listening, I know that, you know, that John MacArthur, uh, you know, uh, is a bad guy. And let me just make sure, you know, that I also know he's a bad guy because he was interested in Donald Trump at one point. Um, and then when Rachel Held Evans is brought up, who let me just say. So one of the things that, uh, you know, um, in kind of a tribalized, polarized time is going to be. Well, okay, Rachel Held Evans was a progressive. She was a liberal Christian. She denied many core tenets of the faith. She, you know, regularly admitted that she did not like Paul and the things that he said because she didn't agree with them. Okay. So, um, like, this is somebody who uh, denied, you know, what we would see as, you know, the, you know, core tenets of the faith. Um, she was still right about some of her critiques about Mark Driscoll. And that can be true. Both of those things can be true. So there can be, you know, kind of left-leaning or left-ist <laughs> uh, critiques of somebody and they be true, even if that position is not right. Um, but the way that this is portrayed is here you have this one guy who's super problematic himself because he likes Trump. He said some things and we kind of listened to him, but the person who's the foremost critic is Rachel Held Evans. The and foremost. she's the foremost critic because of the substance that she critiqued. Yeah. And there was an instant defense. Yep. Like instant when he brings, defense. <laughs> brings up this guy who says, Yeah, she got a lot of likes. She knew what she was doing. That's not entirely true. That's she right. Was... <laughs> and then when uh, the MacArthur clip comes up, when they talk about MacArthur, it's like, Well, yeah, he said that, but there, there's kind of a, right. an instant castigation of MacArthur. But she's a good guy. You know, like that's the that's kind right. of how it's being played off. And that's where I, I don't know if there was an audible oof when I listened to it, but it was definitely there in my mind when uh, when she was brought up as like, where is this going? Where Where is the direction of this podcast? As they're looking for solutions, um, is it going to be, there are problems with how the church was set up and Driscoll as the, the center of it and maybe not a right application of theology? Or is it going to go into the problem is the substance of what Mars Hill was preaching. And the problem is the theology itself. It needs to go into this, uh, a more progressive um, theological mindset, which, you know, with, with Rachel Held Evans and, and what she talked about, you know, you, you just have to get into places where you, if you're going that route, 
you have to openly disagree with the Bible on things as as you mentioned, she did. She disagreed with Paul. She did not like what Paul said, which is essentially saying you don't like what Jesus said if you have the right view of scripture. Um, so I'm, I guess I got very wary about where that's going to go. But if you ever mention that you, you don't like Rachel Held Evans, usually that's followed by, well, these people are just threatened by that, that theology. <laughs> And so I actually, the next clip we're going to play is, so throughout this episode, we haven't played any clips, but Mike Cosper keeps kind of saying, we're going to be asking big questions. We're asking questions about all of evangelicalism in this show. And so I actually want to let Mike Cosper, as we kind of start to think about what solutions might be presented, I want to play a little bit longer clip of him saying, what is the big problem he believes he's addressing in this podcast. Who were removed from leadership for reasons that echo the ones cited by Tim Smith at the beginning of this episode. It seems like it's an epidemic. Here's Ed Stetzer again. You know, I have a little flyer that I keep from the year I spoke at a conference at um, Saddleback. There's seven of us speaking at the their big you know, global conference that year. And Mark was one of the seven. And I was one of the seven. And Rick Warren was one of the seven. But if you take the way the flyer is printed out, it actually has... Um, Rick Warren on the left side and I'm on the right side. And in the middle, there were uh, five other speakers. And of those five other speakers, three of them ended up leaving the ministry for some reason. Mark among, and I won't, no, no reason to list the other two. This is about Mars Hill. But some came back. Matter of fact, one didn't. But, you know, and I could name, I mean, there were others who were um, at that conference, who spoke at that conference, who weren't on the main stage. And and what I would say is it's it's there's a there's a uh, there's a body count. Sorry, just real quick question about young pastor. Do you guys think there was a theologically sound person speaking at that conference? Because I don't know. <laughs> I wish he would have given. I, de- us I definitely name. doubt it. It'd be fun to look up to try to find out which one he's talking about. Yeah. Whose ability rose them to prominence before their character was ready for it. You know, Mark was and is a remarkably gifted person. And in some ways, you know, Mark was the first internet age megachurch celebrity pastor and, and uh, you know, leading, you know, number one podcast, number one sermon downloads, those kinds of things. And, and so what that did is it elevated Mark to the stratosphere so quickly, whereas, you know, you'd think you might be a pastor of a megachurch, and I know some people just think the megachurch is bad in general, but I know a lot of godly megachurch pastors, and I know a lot of megachurch pastors who I'm like, oof, we got a, there are challenges that, that they're walking through and maybe walk, bringing other people through. But typically, you know, someone would start a church and, you know, they might take 20, 30 years of faithful ministry, but the internet just propelled things with such rapidity and the internet only sees how you speak. I mean, that's all the internet is. It's all about verbal articulation. So it doesn't say what's your leadership structure. It doesn't have an accountability in the local church. It doesn't have how, how are we living life on life? And so I think what we've seen since Mars Hill is that uh, there have been other who have been elevated very, very quickly again, where they were elevated by their ability before their character was was ready. And that raises one more question about who killed Mars Hill. If this is so widespread, if it just keeps happening, 
If it's not just about Mars Hill or just about Mark, or for that matter, James McDonald or Perry Noble or Bill Hybels, isn't there a bigger cultural issue at work? If it just keeps happening, isn't there something broader to look at, like ourselves? When we ask why this happens, shouldn't we ask why we keep doing it? Why we seem to like charismatic figures whose character doesn't align with their gifts? Matt, I, I want to ask, is, so is this problem, is this Mark Driscoll problem, is this a really widespread problem? He says it's in large and small churches that it doesn't really matter. Is this, is this, I want to answer the question he's kind of hinting at. Is this that widespread? Um, I get I don't know how widespread it is because um, I have a very small sample size. Um, I do know I've kind of stopped listening to a lot of the celebrity pastors, or I guess maybe celebrities in the reformed area of Christianity, because that's a smaller, um, that's a smaller audience they're getting. <laughs> but I would say some of the churches I have been around, there's been almost like a revolving door of pastors at times uh, on some of them. And I'd say sometimes it seems like it's just a somebody who's been put into a position who maybe does not have all of the character traits necessary for pastoral leadership, but can give an enthusiastic sermon. Hmm. It, but that's just my very small sample size. Yeah. A lot of times the revolving door is actually just because they've got usually, you know, three to four years of sermons built up. And then once they get to the end of that, they're <laughs> like, well, better go to a different church where I could just preach the same sermons again. Don't have to do any work. I make that I say that lightly, but I actually think that that happens a lot. Um, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> um, I actually think that this is a widespread widespread problem. Um, now, uh, there are what's, you know, I, I think that overall this podcast and I've you know, again, listen to more of it than you guys. Um, I think that overall, it actually does walk an okay line as far as, you know, kind of doling out bits of responsibility and people from the inside saying, yeah, I bear some responsibility for this and kind of, you know, moving it around. Um, I don't think they probably do it uh, maybe as much as it's clear that like nobody is uh, getting in trouble today for going after Mark Driscoll. And so even as Ed Stetzer says this, so Ed Stetzer had said earlier in this podcast that he was a mentor of Driscoll at one point. And I wanted to right. ask what happened there, you know, cause he's obviously, you know, still an influential figure in, at Christianity today and in evangelicalism as a whole. Um, so why, you know, what, I just want to know what happened to their relationship if he was such a mentor um, and this is what happened to Driscoll. Why are we listening to him? Um, now he had some good things to say and, you know, what he said about, you know, those guys who's, you know, kind of, you know, uh, fame or notoriety uh, rises before their character develops and that being a problem. And I do see that as a, a regular problem in the internet age. Uh, but, uh, but all that being said, uh, it is a regular problem um, for arrogant uh, men to put themselves in a position of power and uh, you know, kind of take all of the glory from that, see themselves as uh, far more highly than they really ought to see themselves. I think that happens in big and small churches alike. I think it happens all over the place. Uh, but again, what I want to go back to is um, some people, I don't know uh, personally any megachurch pastors, uh, but uh, I know that Ed Stetzer does. 
And he just made clear in that clip that he thinks some of them are in a bad place, probably not yes. unlike Driscoll, but he's unwilling to say their names. He can talk about Driscoll because this already happened, right? It doesn't cost him anything. I want to see him start naming the guys out there today. You know, what's, what's going on today, you know, in his circles that he could be holding accountable uh, so that this doesn't happen again. So, you know, the, the di distribution of, you know, blame the, Hey, aren't we all kind of to blame for this? I don't think it's, is, uh, super fair all the time, especially when, at least in part of this podcast, is putting forward people who probably could have done more and are in a position today to do more with some of these people. But at least, you know, maybe it's just not the point of the podcast. Maybe they'll make a new podcast about that, but I don't see it happening. Then again, maybe those pastors had ministries for 20 years and then they deserved a mega church, as you know, uh, as you will, Pastor Michael. Before you both answer who killed Mars Hill, I want us to listen to a clip where Mark Driscoll actually tells us who to blame for him resigning and not entering the discipline process. So uh, this was a clip that was brand new to me. I was in the bedroom, Grace was in the living room, and um, he spoke to me and he spoke to her in a supernatural way that neither of us anticipated or expected. Um, and so Grace walked in and she said, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said what we're supposed to do. And I was like, I, I feel like the Lord just spoke to me and said what we're supposed to do. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we had agreed to. And it's not what we had planned for. And so I asked her, well, what did the Lord say to you? Because I didn't want to influence her. And she said, uh, we're, we're released yeah. from Marcel. Yeah. She said, well, what did he say to you? And I said, well, the Lord revealed to me that, you know, uh, a trap has been set. There's, there's, there's no way to, for us to return to leadership. And I didn't know what that meant or what was going on at the time. And um, um, I said, it's a trap. He said, we're released and we need to resign. Uh, I wish everyone could have got to watch Pastor Michael's face <laughs> while we reacted to this clip. Maybe we should turn these to live streams. You may have heard our guests laughter over it. Um, <laughs> I will say this interview was done at Hillsong, a charismatic church. If you're charismatic and you'd like to come on the show and explain to me why this wasn't allowed, you can. But <laughs> Pastor Michael, why? What? What? What were you reacting to that you were hearing? So uh, we listened to a clip earlier of you know uh, Driscoll saying like I'm in it. I'm going to let this process go through. I think this is important. This is great. Oh, God told me not to. I'm done. Like I'm out. Uh, <laughs> just pulling the God told me card uh, in a just really convenient way. Uh, somehow this is just, you know, and, uh, you know, they, they play some other clips of it too. And sometimes he changes it a little bit. It seems like um, the, yeah, it's, uh, it is striking um, to think that, um, God would put you in such a position of leadership and authority and responsibility. And then when it is most important that you bear the responsibility, especially because you've made a mess of things you're released. Uh, that he just says, you're free, <laughs> you're released, go. Um, that I do not believe that that comports with uh, the, the scriptural understanding. Uh, and so it's, I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a bit of a mess.
in my opinion, do you want to know an actual problem that's widespread in American evangelicalism? This. People saying this about things. Yeah, people saying, well, God told <laughs> yes. me, so now I get to do it. Or God, God told me I didn't have to. I guess I can't, you know? Matt, what do you think about Driscoll's freedom from the trap? Yeah, he got set free to Arizona. This can go down there. I, I remember seeing this because I was shocked. Uh, I had stopped kind of following Driscoll at that time, but then I heard that he was going with uh, doing an interview with is it Brian Houston mm-hmm. um, of Hillsong. Like, he's going to Hillsong? Like, um, I was just fascinated that this interview was even happening. Um, but anytime somebody says, I heard directly from God, I heard his voice say this, I instantaneously am skeptical, uh, particularly as Pastor Mike, you said, the weight of what's going on in this church and how many people are involved at this crucial time. You've said, I'm going to preach my own funeral and walk into the casket and close the lid. And I really wanted to do this, but God just said, you're released. And so I've got to obey the, the command that only we heard to do this. Um, and uh, we're, we're just going to go out. I, I, I find it shocking that it would be the, <laughs> I, I guess I don't find it shocking that everybody else was super shocked when they just up and resigned. Yeah. Also and, imagine and saying I mean, God told me. <laughs> you also have the fact that like, at least according to their, you know, side of things, um, the others like on the board or whatever they have, you know, whatever this church structure is, I don't really know. Uh, but whatever it is, they want him to stay. And so in other words, uh, like the, the governing authorities that God has put in place in any way to hold you accountable, evidently weren't really being held accountable, but in any way, like if there's any of that going on in this place, it's these people and they want you to stay. Uh, but you say, no, I can't like that is a, that is a very, you know, kind of evangelical way of, of getting out of things. Um, and I was just thinking, I don't think it's shocking, actually, that, you know, you haven't gone to a place like Hillsong. I don't know if it's Brian Houston for sure, but I know, I mean, a lot of the like Hillsong pastors have been in trouble more recently. I think maybe Brian Houston himself for a lot of the exact same things as Driscoll and a lot of these like, you know, manipulative, uh, egomaniacal um, guys kind of, you know, trying to uh, take and accrue power uh, to themselves. And that seems to be actually very uh problematic it's problematic like i've already said i think broadly in you know american evangelicalism i think you have an added layer of this a lot of times in charismatic circles because in a lot of charismatic circles you don't have a lot of accountability you know there are some uh different denominations that have tried to you know change that obviously but in a lot of circles it's a very you know like autonomous churches uh very you know kind of uh free churches in in various ways Uh, and you have somebody that has this added layer of not only, Hey, am I the guy who's at the center? I'm the guy who preaches. I'm the guy that gets everybody to come, but also you can be the guy that says, God told me these things. And if God told you, then everybody has to listen. That's how this works. Um, it is sinful. If God actually said that to Mark, it is sinful for him to do anything other. It is sinful for anybody else to try to stop him from doing that. This is God's will. This is what God wants him to do. And so it's, it is a place that I think uh, abuse like this can probably very easily hide, which it doesn't shock me then why Driscoll went a more charismatic direction after this. Obviously he was always had that charismatic side. He always talked about that, but 
especially after this, he, he kind of was embraced much more by the charismatic world. Didn't Mark start the church with the same way? Didn't he hear? I thought I heard, remember yes. him saying he started yes. a church yep. from direct revelation from God. Yes, he does. Oh yeah. He and, and so this is a great reminder for me then, because later this year, the Restless Podcast is going to cover the Reformed and classically Protestant doctrine of cessationism. We need to make that doctrine great again, because that is not a bug. That is a feature of historic Christian theology. Actually, yeah, because we got to bring up the MacArthur Strange Fire stuff. Matt's already brought it up for us this episode, yeah. so we got to get into it. So Before Matt and Michael answer who killed Mars Hill, we're not going to ask the question. We're going to answer it. There's something I think everyone needs to be thinking through when you listen to a podcast like this, whether it be Restless. Some, we're, we try to be pretty explicit. You want to ask yourself, what is the thesis of this show? What is the point they're making? And I'm going to try and answer this question with each one of these we do, how many ever we end up doing. And so, and I'm going to try and state it fairly. And you guys can tell me if you think I did a good job summarizing the thesis of this particular episode. And we can do it for the whole series at the end. The collapse of Mars Hill and Driscoll's fall from favor is a microcosm of what is true about evangelicalism as a whole, whether conservative or liberal. We are attracted to success and charisma over character and service of people. And we're entertained by the drama of when it goes wrong. I think that is the thesis of this episode. What do you guys think? He's well put. Well done, Matt. You did a good job. <laughs> I second the motion. Well, that's why that's why I am the host of this show. <laughs> but now right. you guys need to answer the question, guys, who killed Marcel? Was it the Holy Spirit? Was it Mark Driscoll? So, I mean, it was. I mean, God shut it down. Um, but I do believe, I mean, he did that through uh, what was clearly um, or should I say, from the outside looking in, it seems very clear that this came because of uh, serious sinful characteristics in Mark Driscoll's life um, that I believe could have at least in some part been remedied had there been some manner of humility, uh, of, of willingness to uh, you know, truly confess, be forgiven to see some kind of you know reconciliation at this time in this matter. Um, I think you can see a way in which Mars Hill continues that it doesn't stop at this point. Uh, now that being said, I did when I was listening to it uh, this last time. I did think a little bit like there is still part of me that you know this is just me being a pastor and being in situations where you hear one side of a story and you're naturally just like wow this you know this is a this is a huge problem and then you hear the other side of the story and you think oh. I now understand much more about the first thing I heard because it makes more sense in context. Um, and uh, Driscoll obviously thinks that there are people that are out to get him um, in the the church, and that seems like something that. And you know, this will go on throughout this podcast. Um, and this this appears a lot, a kind of paranoia, I think, especially as he gains more and more fame, more and more celebrity. Um, there's more and more paranoia that these guys are trying to stop me and take this away from me. And uh, that's very problematic. Uh, I also think uh, probably that was happening on, to some degree. 
Um, so like, I just assume that there are people that ride the coattails of this guy up to celebrity and they want more of the action or they want something. They don't like something about it. Um, and it's not just purely good motives. Like we love you and we love this church and all of us are doing a good job. And it's just you and your arrogance and your kind of bullishness that is causing all of these problems. Um, I think probably you have both things going on. We just don't get as much of that other side. We will get some throughout the podcast of people taking some responsibility, but there's a lot of Mark Driscoll kind of apologies, it seems like, where it's really him, right? He's really the problem. The people around him's biggest problems is they were, they tried to help him too much and were so successful. That's right. (laughs) Their biggest character flaw was that they were really good. And tried to help so much. That's Man, right. who killed Mars Hill? Uh, I would agree God shut it down, though not in the way Mark would tell it. Though I wasn't there, so maybe maybe that did happen. What? Again, no, you, can, I, you can just say it didn't happen. The, the, reason, <laughs> the reason this podcast is so striking is because overnight, a church of 15,000 people dissolved. Right. That is huge. Incredible. That is huge. If your structure is set up to where you have that many campuses and that many people attending and one person being removed from the equation results in the church in like a two or three hour meeting saying we're done. Something is wrong. That goes beyond just uh, Driscoll at that point. Like that you know, their, their polity and whatever, um, you know, I think, you know, the decisions they've made, I know he was doing a ton of sermons. I remember him talking at one point about how stressed he was. He could, couldn't sleep at night because of all the sermons they were doing on uh, Sundays, like during the, all these different sermons during the day. And then at night, all these events going on, a lot being put, uh, and I'm guessing he was embracing it too, a lot of the responsibility you know, the decisions that they made to have it be one mega church um, versus splitting it up earlier. Um, yeah, I think back to that Mark Dever, James McDonald, and Mark Driscoll podcast, which was also a really good one you guys did, um, where they were talking about their church structures. Uh, I think if they had made some different decisions there, you may not end up in the same situation. But, you know, one church dissolving because one guy leaves, that's and that happening overnight it wasn't like they tried to do it they just decided in a meeting we're done and it's different if you have a 15 person church plant that's just getting going and something happens to the pastor um it makes sense that you know it's going to fall apart you know people are going to go to other churches that just makes sense but you know 20 years 20 years 15,000 people i mean that's a yeah Mike Cosper at the end of this episode says what we all really need to do is we all need to look at how we were all responsible. Pastor Michael, do I have to really feel bad for we all, every, all the listeners of this podcast? I, I mean, I seriously, I, I, I really want to know, do I need to I understand that self-reflection is healthy, right? And not just saying, right, this is why listening to media all the time is actually bad because it kind of puts all the the bad out in the world. 
you don't you're not looking for your own sin your own failures and that and that probably even is what's going on in this whole story we've been discussing but do i really need to personally think about the role i played in this building this kind Uh, of a culture no you don't Uh, and so like this too conflates a lot of you know a lot of uh different things um where like you and i both know because we have a whole podcast about it the ways that we were sinful and stupid in this whole movement right this whole the whole of new calvinism and what we did and i mean we we have a whole podcast where we talk about our own stupidity uh, our own sinfulness even and you know our uh, lack of wisdom and the different ways that we had to grow and change and are still growing and changing um, even you know coming out of much of this uh, but when it comes to who is responsible for the downfall of this particular church you know it's probably i mean number one driscoll right number two you know all these other uh, guys around him uh number three probably guys like mike cosper and those who were, you know, uh, in his circles in various ways, um, those who, you know, platformed him and, and we're going to get some, you know, more talking about that um, and the you know, various relationships that Mark had and why people were silent, even when they saw problems. Uh, and there's going to be some defense and justifying of that later on in the podcast. Uh, but the, the actual responsibility uh, lays on those who did have like a personal uh, knowledge relationship responsibility for uh, this man and this church. It was, it was not, you know, as much as it's easy to go and dunk on Driscoll as I've done, right. I've done it just, you know, I've been doing it this whole time as much as you can do that and see some major character flaws. Uh, there were a lot more people involved, uh, who could have done something. And some, I think some probably did try to do something and they were, uh, you know, pushed out, cut out because of that in part. Um, so anyway, that is my, that is my uh, fever dream of a take. Matt, any closing thoughts uh, before you, you, you leave us? We'd like to thank you for joining us on our restless party as, as any listener like Pastor Mark Driscoll or Mike Cosper could as well. We'd just like to thank you. But any closing thoughts about the episode or our discussion of it? it definitely has captured me to, maybe, to listen to more of it, especially as, as Pastor Michael continues to give us little nuggets from the future like hey this is coming like well yeah i gotta listen to that now i'm, I'm interested i've been to the future and <laughs> it is probably what you think <laughs> yeah. yeah it's got to be a multitude like multiple factors i don't personally feel bad for mars hill falling because i watched some sermons online um i don't feel like i i should be to blame for that but I'd say the only last closing thought I had is Mike Cosper makes a call to Driscoll. uh, Like they want to have a conversation with him. And if he gets a conversation with Driscoll before Restless does, I think that's an absolute travesty. That's right. We all have to remember every one of these episodes we'll have to put in somewhere that we had a podcast (laughs) about this topic. We have a podcast that uses the phrase rise and fall in its little tagline. And we had that before mike cosper did and yet here it is we haven't even been called to come on the show christianity today what's going on is that just like the finale maybe is that what we're waiting for maybe that'd be a great reveal i think 
that I, I am looking forward to this because as I said, this the the music, the production value is so high. It's and you're getting clips you didn't hear. I mean, it's a little weird that I'm even hearing like people on the phone, like fo- recorded phone calls. That's that's a whole nother layer we don't have time to get into. But yeah, as it's I, deep. But as I listen to this, you know, I think the attitude the average Christian should have and deciding on if we should be listening or entertained by this is a is a discussion for another time is the the description paul gives when he's when he's being told about these adversaries of his who are preaching the gospel to increase his pain yeah paul isn't happy about his adversaries trying to make things more painful for him we shouldn't be happy about a pile of dead bodies we shouldn't rejoice right we shouldn't have a chuckle like that but what we can do is we can rejoice that the gospel is preached we can rejoice that the three of us were introduced to biblical teaching about God's sovereignty and his choice in salvation. And praise God. And as much as a lot of, you know, negative is talked of in the rise and fall of Mars Hill, there is some of that as well, right? There is some of the good that's mentioned. There is some of the blessing that came. There is some of the good. So uh, that's definitely there. Thanks for joining us for our first Rise and Fall of Mars Hill Listen Party. Join us next time. You can contact us on any of the social media. We'd love to have you on. We'd love for you to rate and review this show. Right, guys? It's it's a ton of fun. Hopefully this was beneficial. I know that it is late and I 100% have a fever right now. So maybe it didn't make 100% sense. But if it didn't work for you, or if I said anything wrong, that's because the mats laid a trap for me. And uh, <laughs> that's what happened. So, And if you sell blue blockers, we'd love for you to sponsor this sponsor show. Sponsor the show. <laughs> Matt, should people come on with us the next time we do this? Oh, yeah. This is fun. Great. You heard it. You heard it from Matt. It was actually fun.